this is the makeup episode where um, a few episodes back at Chris Dowsedon, we were talking about how we lost a whole recording about computer hardware because of computer failure. And um, so now we're going we're to do it again. Uh, Chris couldn't make it, but Olaf, who, who was there for the first round, is back and um, also sounds a lot like Chris. So hi, Olaf. How's it going, Tyler? <laughs> and, and you guys also work together, so you can you can speak on his behalf, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll definitely bring some of the, uh, the parallel stories we have because uh, his first big foray into PC land was on a project we did together. So well, And the reason that I really wanted to hear, well, both of your perspectives, but you're in the same boat, is a lot of people either understand the PC world or understand the Mac world, but not many people play in both. And uh, you guys have both worked in a way where you're taking advantage of each system and don't give up on one or the other just because it has some weaknesses. So, you know, I find a lot of people that really love Mac. I mean, for me, I really like Apple. And the hurdle of starting to work completely within Windows feels too big to spend the time figuring that out. There could be some performance gains in some situations, but overall, I expect I would lose more time by even attempting it. People on the PC side, they know why they like PCs. So, I mean, how did you end up in that situation where you're using both a Mac and PC? Well, I mean, I I grew up in PC land uh, with my dad and, you know, he built tons of PCs and always built his own. And, you know, we had the plethora of issues that came with building your own PC back in the, you know, 90s and so on. And then my first foray into Mac came when I went to uh, school. I went to the Alberta College of Art and Design and you needed a laptop. And while you were open to getting a PC or a Mac laptop, it was highly suggested that you got a Mac considering most of the majority of people there were on a Mac and for any kind of technical problems or troubleshooting, it was much easier to be a part of that system than it was the other. And at that time, Mac was definitely more of the creative tool than say a PC was. And so that's when I started to uh, to switch over and, you know, eventually my dad switched over and, and all my family members and it just kind of trickled through because of my use in it and my getting used to that. And it wasn't until many years later that I, I needed a better visual effects system that I needed to go into PC world. And that's when I decided to finally make the jump to get better support for upgradability, um, applications ran better as far as I was told everything pushed me towards needing a PC. I didn't want a PC. I enjoyed living in my Mac ecosystem, but I needed one to have the power I needed to pull off the stuff I wanted to. So that's that's what pushed me into to that realm. I always think it's funny that Apple still holds on to its reputation as like, this is the platform for creatives. Like if you want to do creative work, you buy an Apple. It's still, it still very much holds that but that comes from the early 90s. So that's when I started on, on Apple is that uh, the desktop publishing revolution, which it's, it's easy to forget how much it really was a revolution that you could print things at home and publish stuff yourself, um, was much better on Apple because there are certain applications you couldn't get elsewhere. Like I, I, th- I think Cork Express, Express was exclusive to Apple. Yeah, that was the big one. I yeah. remember that. And uh, the way that what, I guess App, Apple Talk would work with printer systems, made it really easy. Apple was making the best printers in the world. Their laser jets that everybody forgets Apple ever made printers, but they were these <laughs> really powerful 
tools that had never been seen before. And they're very expensive, but they did things that you couldn't do without an industrial printer before. So there was this period where Apple was allowing you and empowering people to do things they could not do. Then also video editing, you know, packing iMovie into uh, into computers and having iPhoto be part of it. And um, I mean, my first Mac, which is a Power PC, I think 6300. It was in kind of the dark days of uh, beige Macintoshes, but it had RCA yeah. inputs on the back, like all three. So I could plug video into my computer directly into my computer with no no need for a capture card <laughs> yeah no which is crazy like that's a really useful tool especially for a teenager just barely trying to figure out how to make something on a computer so there was a time where apple was the creative place yeah it used to be very cut and dry it used to yeah. be if you wanted to make and create you used a mac and if you wanted to organize in spreadsheets then you used a pc that's totally. That to me was the easy divide. It was kind of super crystal clear. Now, I think there is, I think the divide is still somewhat real. Part of it is legacy. The real part, I think, is that most, a lot of creatives, I don't know most, our our taste is such that Windows or Linux feel kind of gross. Like aesthetically, they make me not feel at home. Uh, and, and, And there's all these interface decisions that, frustrate me in a way that is kind of distracting like it pulls me out of my computer it's yeah it's, that's that's one of my that big beats bad but yeah i mean so like living in pc world like what what are challenges that you're facing oh i mean the challenges you face uh at the at the beginning of it all understanding that a mac world is very locked down for the right reasons because you could buy a mac because you want to spend time being creative and if you're on a pc you need to know computers because there is going to come a time when you need to deep dive into some stuff that you never thought you would have to for example firewalls you know you can turn it on or off on a mac but typically they're almost always off because it's just such a secure system compared whereas on a pc your firewall is on automatically you have to open up ports and allow permissions and create new rules And all of that comes down to actually knowing more about how your computer works versus on a Mac, you could know almost nothing about how a computer works and just get what you want done, done as opposed to spending time on all of that stuff. So I think that's the the biggest thing you have to realize going in, you know, updating drivers, you know, on a Mac, it's easy. You know, (laughs) you just say, yes, if there's a new update, yeah, totally go with that update. Seldom is an update going to cripple anything unless, you know, there's some uh, other heavy stuff that you're using and, you know, you're updating operating systems. But on a PC, you just don't hit that update button because Mm -hmm. their updates are just intense and sneaky and they change different things that you didn't understand they would change and graphics drivers are the bane of my existence i mean i think i got it to a stable point and i just don't touch it again i just ignore any update that says hey would you like to update the drivers and you're like hell no Hmm. don't my system works right now just leave me alone well whereas on a mac you're like yeah sure go ahead it's a bit of an accident that i jumped us into the pc mac war so quickly (laughs) i meant to set up the episode (laughs) a little bit more and and just talk about like um well, first of all, what we're going to talk about, I want this to be more or less a, a 101 of what it needs to be considered in computers. I mean, I sometimes take it for granted on this show that people understand some of the technical terms of computer components or what their role is in performance or why you need to consider different things. So by the end of this, I, I hope to get to like 
what hardware components are important considerations depending on tasks that you do. So this will mostly be focused on video producers and photographers. Um, also touching a bit on you know audio and VFX, which uh, is is your specialty. What else? What what else would you need to know if you were in your first year or two, or even now? First, what do you still need to know now? Well, I think you need to understand what what components, the primary components of your computer, what they're going to give you in terms of an advantage. And I think that it's easy to, to at the at the forefront, just throw out numbers and specs and think that that's what matters, but it isn't. I learned this a long time ago when it came to Mac versus PC, and everyone would say, oh, why are you spending that much money on a Mac when you could buy this PC with these specs? And it was easily double the specs. Yeah, it's only but, one gigahertz and my PC is 2.5. Yeah. And to them, you know, and, and it's usually gamers that would argue this, but to to everyone else that would argue just the straight up numbers on a spreadsheet, they didn't understand the efficiency that was baked into a Mac. And now I'll give you an example. I'd built a $10,000 PC with multiple GPUs, high-end processor, tons of RAM, and I was trying to get one simple process to be done out of resolve and what it does is you can throw a movie in there and it's auto scene detect and it cuts up the movie right so it's a great way to analyze and study films uh, Dowsett taught me this and i was trying to do it on two separate ten thousand dollar pcs and it just would not work it would not you could not yeah. get it to multiple versions of resolve different pcs different configurations it just didn't work i went to my 2013 uh, top-end iMac with a 4-gig um, graphics card, older processor, everything, and it crushed it. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't understand it. There was five yeah. years difference between these computers, thousands of dollars, and just by the specs, you would think, hey, this should just be better. But at the end of the day, the nice thing about a Mac is that it is efficient. You can't argue that. It's just all the pieces are picked and properly put together, whereas on a PC, you run a lot of risk of it not being optimized. And I still don't know if my PC is as optimized as it can be, and I nerd out on it a lot. Well, and that's part of why I want to just talk about this more, too, is I feel like I have a lot of relearning of, of how these components work, even if you learned what this... So I learned what this was in the 90s, right? That's when I was building PCs. I went from my beige Mac to building my own PC, because I was in college, I had less money, Macs weren't great at the time. Um, so yeah, I, I built a few PCs and I loved it. That experience is really rewarding and fun. Yeah, and when it works, <laughs> to, well, yeah, totally. But, and, but at the time the struggle was enjoyable too. Like I liked, you know, okay. Like, oh, I just realized I could crank out another 3% performance. Great. I'll spend a whole day on that. That was super enjoyable. Cause I had time. Cause when you're young, you have more time. Um, and you know, I still get like a bit of a, a buzz walking into a store filled with hardware components on the walls. Like it's exciting to look at them all and imagine the configuration. So even now mm. I would love to build like a gaming PC or a rendering PC. Like I'm very interested in it. The big difference is time. I don't have like my time doesn't have a return on that investment anymore. I have much more return on actually producing things. Yeah, I mean, and I'll I'll hands down say, even as we get into the the pros and cons of each and what benefits come from them, I will hands down say the only reason I have a PC is for VFX stuff. Right. And that is primarily driven by the fact that I can't get NVIDIA cards to work properly on a Mac ecosystem so, yet. So we have yet to see what the Mac Pro is going to bring to the table, but... I hope it's NVIDIA. <laughs> yeah, because that is the 
only reason. Otherwise, I would be on Mac entirely. And just so that everyone kind of has an understanding, I have a uh, 10-core iMac Pro, and I have a custom-built PC with three GPUs in it. So they're both massive workhorses, but anytime I can do work on my Mac, that's where I am. It would also be helpful if you tell us a bit of what you do, like what's the work that you do. When you say VFX, you also do filmmaking. So, I mean, you do like traditional edits of big video files you shoot. What are all the things you use a computer for? Um, Typically, I use a computer for, you know, everything from the mundane, everyday, you know, YouTube, email, Twitter, whatever. But uh, primarily, it's to edit um, stuff that I've directed or I've helped produce uh, and to create visual effects components for that. And that can be everything from, you know, basic um, comps or, you know, background swaps to full on what I'm playing with a lot right now, which is dynamic water simulations and, you know, very computationally heavy stuff. But uh, it varies in between those scopes and then, you know, editing the odd uh, podcast. So do you ever find the need to to have this kind of hardware in after effects like the things you do are crazy intensive like i've seen the render times and they are so much more than i would have imagined from a super powerful machine but yeah you know would would you be facing the same thing if you were doing more like the typical youtubers after effects and uh premiere workflow I don't I don't think so. I mean, after we're kind of lucky that our last episode uh shit the bed and we had some time to answer some of our own questions and concerns about how our systems work and how efficient they are and when they're not. So I started watching my activity and task monitors a lot more and kind of trying to get a better handle on when I'm really using my system. And if you break it down to the three main components, which is your CPU, your GPU, and your RAM, now you can get hard drive speeds in there, but that's, I think we're getting to a point where they're just all getting really fast and we don't really need to worry about that too much. They'll just get faster. But as I start to watch when I'm using them, it's very much like I need this power for visual effects. If Mm -hmm. I was in After Effects, probably not so much. I don't think I would need three GPUs. I don't even know if it can benefit from three GPUs. I don't believe that Premiere Pro and After Effects benefit at all from having multiple GPUs oh. uh, through oh, either right. SLI or I, I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I yep. don't believe they do because yeah, it's just never seemed like what it needs. Uh, when it comes to memory, I know that I always run out with After Effects as cache. Like the caches are just huge. Same with Premiere Pro sometimes, but particularly I find After Effects every now and then you go, why am I running out of disk space? And you go, oh, there's 150 gigs of cash somewhere that's useless that I don't need for an old project or whatever. So I wish that just kind of disappeared more so, but you don't, you don't need this kind of power unless you're truly going to push it over the top. And even, even watching my Ram, I think that 32 gigs is now this beautiful safe zone. I think 16 gigs was just not enough. And I think 32 is kind of the sweet spot because I have 64 gigs of Ram in both of these and I barely get to max them out. Only recently through some Cinema 4D and X particles have I seen By attempting caching. to max them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where you're trying to push it and you say, okay, well, but I can push, you know, 20 million um particles in cinema Ford, sorry in houdini and everything's fine but i push you know two hundred thousand in uh, x particles and shit starts to explode well so it would be good to let's identify some of those things that's like the first thing i have sure. in my notes here is just like what are some of the worst bottlenecks that we hit on a regular basis i mean obviously you have some specific 
toggles that if you turn them the wrong way in your renders, it'll make everything explode. What else can slow down a computer for you? For me, it comes down to my my CPU. So when it comes to the actual, I've done all the the uh, the settings and now I just needed to think about it. That's when the more CPU power ha- you have, the better. And you just you just you want more. Typically, and this is where you're trying to find the right balance. Because when I was buying my iMac, um, there's the eight core up to what is it, fourteen or eighteen cores that you can get. Yeah, I think, I th- I think there's an eighteen. Is that? I think it's an eighteen core. I'm pretty I, I, sure, but I, whatever the number is, I still kind of can't believe it's real. But yeah, it's nuts. But you have to find this balance because as you get more cores, your clock speed goes down. So there's certain applications that aren't actually going to be better on your your system. So you you're better off finding the sweet spot, and the ten core seems to be the best kind of balance of a high clock speed and enough cores versus getting say eighteen but being down to two point. 2.2 or whatever it is the the higher cores so you're trying to find a place where it's going to work better you know in a xeon versus an i7 um, hyper threading and turbo overclocking and all these things you can get more in depth on a pc you can really fine-tune how your cpu works but that's even an area i haven't really played too much in for fear of just destroying something <laughs> that i don't understand and then, you know, a Xeon is just designed to run 24-7. That's what a server-grade processor is going to do for you. So you can hit go and just know that it's a ton more reliable than, say, an i7 or an i9 because of the way they're designed. But that's the biggest bottleneck for me is when I say go. So all of a sudden, I'm done in Houdini and I need to push something. You know, now it's going to think about it for, it could be an hour, it could be seven hours. But that's so specific to visual effects that... Now you kind of look past it and you say, okay, maybe Premiere Pro, when when am I going to need more? Well, if you work in Final Cut versus Premiere Pro, there's different workflows. And yeah, how long do you want to sit there and wait when you're done working? Yeah. Ironically, I have two computers so that while I'm waiting for one to think, I can be working on something else. And the efficiency that allows me is great. Well, and this is part of why it depends on like what where are you currently at is where you're going to find your bottleneck too. So uh, I've talked a bit before about how I've been stuck on a older laptop. Uh, again, the quick version of that story is that I had a, a few years ago, we had just got a new studio and along with it, I got a new iMac, totally maxed out to what it could be at the time. This is getting a little older now, I guess it's 2014. Um, but it had everything. And so it still runs great. This is an awesome machine. It's what I'm recording on right now. Then a few months later, six months later, I also felt like I needed a laptop because we'd started to travel a little bit more. Um, I was editing from home sometimes and I was like, okay, I just need something for on the go. iPads totally don't cut it for me. It needs to be a Mac. So I got a MacBook pro 13 inch kind of base model, pretty much, uh, eight gigs of Ram. It, it doesn't have a lot in it. Turns out I uh, then started traveling virtually all the time for the next few years up until now. So I'm still on the road a lot. I don't get to edit at my iMac often at all. I'm on my laptop most of the time. And somehow I was able to survive on on this little 13-inch with an integrated graphics card. There's no dedicated GPU, no RAM, (laughs) relatively small internal um, storage and I, I made it work. And that's actually, to me, like really speaks to the optimization of a Mac that I even could. Like I have gotten through, struggled through, but gotten through 4K video edits on it. Like that's, that's just crazy. I know. It's amazing. 
but that's, that's where I was living. And so, you know, bottlenecks for me, like I can name a lot of them, but so I will, I actually will. Cause I think a lot of people are living at that place right now. You know, like the top selling Mac is always a uh, MacBook air or, you know, now maybe the smaller MacBook is, is probably selling pretty well or the 13 inch MacBook pros. That's what most people buy. So most people are seeing the same bottlenecks that I've been. So I'm going to, I'm going to go through a couple of them really quick. The worst one, the, the place that slows me, my whole workflow down the most is importing to Lightroom. And that also involves generating previews. So all the, the bottlenecks there are card speed of the SD card that I'm using, which is mm-hmm. not the computer's fault. Potentially the card reader, but I think everything I'm using is faster than anything else. Uh, same with the interface. So, you know, USB 3 is faster than the the card can provide typically. Then what? Then the files are copied. So then your actual hard drive speed, you just need to make sure that the hard drive is faster than the card. Uh, and it, yeah, it is. Which is almost certain. Now. Yeah, SSDs. I mean, it was an SSD. So if you are using a, a hard drive, so actually, yeah, that is a place that I was hitting the bottleneck because I'm using external drives. You know, my internal mm-hmm. hard drive wasn't big enough to store the files. So uh, my and external drives, the SSDs aren't big enough. I can't afford a four terabyte SSD. So um, I've been buying pairs of external spinning disk drives that are five terabytes. Basically, I buy a pair each year and I fill about four or five terabytes a year. Those are a bottleneck. And I, I did some benchmarks between then and now. And I found about a 30% performance decrease going switching from SSD going down to a spinning disk. Wait, what am I, what do you call those? Mm-hmm. That's just a hard drive? Those are just hard, hard disk drive. Hard disk drive. HDD. Versus SDD. Uh, wait, what is the S? Uh, st- st- solid state? Yeah, solid or SSD, I guess. Yeah, not yeah solid state drive. Sounds like an STD. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, 30% was the difference. So there was and is a bottleneck. So uh, that's something I'm looking to improve. I'll, I got to figure out a new way to sort of store things on the road. Um, that's for, for Well, your, your, your new PC is, uh, or it's on your PC, your new computer has a two terabyte internal, right? So yes. that's going to alleviate a lot of that. It, uh, it should. So par- part of the practical issue for me is, is our workflow is that like my wife does the sorting of a lot of the photos that we import. So the first import actually happens to her computer, which didn't get upgraded. Uh. So that one in Lightroom won't be resolved by this. So, um, gotcha. But that's just me. It, it would be it would be better if I was using this one. But and that is part of why mm-hmm. I bought a bigger drive. Uh, which yeah, we'll we'll dig uh, into my new computer a whole bunch at the end. Yeah, for sure. You were talking about the three components. So we only hit CPU. Do you want to jump on GPU and RAM? Well, yeah. So to? the next thing that happens in this Lightroom import is generating previews, right? So okay, hard drive slowed it down, but now we got generate previews. I think that uh, Lightroom really hits a single thread of the CPU entirely. I think I think. It's, it's all one thread that will render all of your previews, which comes down to clock speed. So, yeah. you know, my new computer has six cores in it. That's awesome. For a lot of uses, that will speed a lot of things up. But if Lightroom's only touching one, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I have six or four or two. It actually no, needs to be fast. Fastest. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the big ones for Lightroom. Then in uh, Final Cut... Then what's happening? So uh, there's actual playback and Final Cut is awesome for optimization. So I can play back 4K on my older computer, which is crazy. Like I still can't believe I can scrub through a 4K file. What happens is if you have a bunch of different files, 
uh, which a normal edit does, right? You didn't just record once, mm-hmm. typically. You, you've got a bunch of different clips and you're mixing them together. As you go to the next file, it starts to struggle. I don't exactly know what the problem is there. I think maybe on, if you have like a good graphics card, a good GPU with lots of cache, it would be caching the other files. And as it jumps to the next one, it would be referring back to, to, to a cache instead of to the hard drive. But in my case, it's always going back to the hard drive to pull all the other files. Do you think that's true? Um, well, I don't know how much uh, GPU is going to cache. Um, your, I mean, it, it probably does in some capacity, but I don't know if that's typically... Is the hard drive cache? <laughs> I don't know. It, I'm, I'm kind of well, guessing. Well, it would be... It would be cached to the hard drive or to your memory. I don't think it's typically cached to the GPU. Now, okay, I'm not going to speak to knowing exactly how that works, but there are certain efficiencies that both Premiere and Final Cut do in the background to allow things to work better. And I know like everyone always talks about how fast Final Cut exports, and I think there's a lot of the things that you have to know how to do in Premiere, it's doing automatically. Right. So there's a great uh, Frame.io post on how to optimize your premiere exports and i remember watching that and just having my mind blown as to how to get better export times oh yeah send me that just link to make sure i get it in the show notes yeah it's it's tremendous now the problem and this is kind of that whole mac versus pc thing is mac is just doing that so final cut is just doing that whereas pc premiere you're you have to think about it and execute you know not only know what it is that you need to do but then do that I also was using Premiere up until, I mean, I've only switched less than a year ago still. So uh, I'm pretty mm. fresh on knowing Premiere bottlenecks. Um, it could not play back 4K footage that wasn't transcoded. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe some other format could have done it. Transcoding, then you've got another time sync anyway. So um, I would use proxy files and that would work. I would just have to wait for them to be generated. And then, and then it would play yeah. back these smaller ones. I'll give you an example uh, in terms of playback. So for this, I just had a recent project where we shot on, shot on an Excuse Alexa me? Mini. <laughs> yeah, we shot. We shot on an Alexa Mini, and we shot ProRes 4.4, and we also did some drone work, which was ProRes 4.4 XQ, and I cannot play that back smoothly on my PC. Mm. Now, I don't know if it's a QuickTime thing. I mean, I have three monster GPUs in there. It just it cannot play back smoothly. It can play back, but not great. I get onto the iMac Pro flawless Ugh, the see, xq stutters a bit and this is all in premiere but flawless and i don't know again if it's just because it's packeted in an apple environment and it's recorded in an apple codec and i don't know but it was it's unbelievable i could not i thought i was i just learned the entire proxy workflow process for this project and then i get this computer and i go to push play and i was like i don't need any of those proxies i wow, can just edit yeah. natively yeah, I, I know there is just hardware acceleration for QuickTime stuff, for um, ProRes stuff. I don't understand it that well. But I, I was going to ask you, hoping you had an answer of that. Like, if I'm a editor just in Premiere, where am I probably hitting those bottlenecks? How much of it is GPU? How much of it is CPU? Oh, I'm just trying to think of the projects we've edited. I think that there's a lot of optimization that Premiere already has for Mac versus PC. And then as far as getting better performance, having a better GPU 
is definitely going to to help because your CPU is when you're done everything and now it needs to think about it and package it up. Your GPU is while you're working and it's displaying. So it is driving your monitor and everything you see and every bit of calculation that needs to happen for you to see it. It shares some of the workload with your CPU, but primarily that's what your GPU is doing. Now in VFX land, I use my GPU to render stuff out because I have GPU renders, but typically speaking, Every other program, when you hit export, render, cache, whatever, it's using the CPU. So it's an interesting place I've been looking into this a lot is uh, the external GPUs that Apple's, well, everybody's pushing more and more, but Apple, especially because they have more limited internal GPU options. So for Mm -hmm. example, there's the Blackmagic external GPU that looks great. Like the fact that it's silent is a big deal. Um, The fact that it's a, a really powerful hub it has all all these other inputs i mean it really means that you can plug in your laptop and treat it much more like a desktop environment but i was really surprised to see that most professional applications uh things that aren't games don't take any advantage of it and well i think it's so new because you know it's technically been around for a while but the you know the advent of thunderbolt 3 and usb type c and how much information and stuff you can pass through those cords now has opened up the possibilities and a while back mac uh, apple actually patented or filed a patent for a gpu display uh, combination so that the idea would be you would go buy an apple display but it has a gpu built in so it's just lacking the cpu of the computer style so you can plug in your laptop through one of these connectors and now suddenly you have an external gpu that is not only boosting your gpu power overall but it's attached to your monitor and also a hub so i wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that in the next year or two because of this you know sudden push into eGPU world so they're i think they're just testing the waters everyone's still getting kind of you know used to how this works how they optimize it and see if the market takes off with it like if that becomes a big thing that people actually go for then i think you'll see more support for it i mean i have an eGPU just sitting here i have the razor core x because i was trying to get a 1080 ti to work with my imac pro and i can't get it to work so i don't want to hack my imac pro to make it work because it's just too valuable a machine to dink around with in that capacity but i'm just kind of waiting for that 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 word that hey plug it in it'll all work now because that would be phenomenal i think i think the support will come uh obviously apple is investing in it like they are concerned about it they are they worked directly with black magic a lot for this so there will be a time where i think eGPUs are taken better advantage of but it also just opened my eyes to how many things don't use the gpu i think this is one of those relearning things that I, i hadn't really realized how I kind of always made this assumption that like whenever things that are anything visual is happening on the GPU, like any kind of rendering is that's gotta be GPU. That just makes sense internally to my mind. Turns out (laughs) it's not quite right. It's um, a lot more nuanced in ways that I'm not going to pretend to fully understand yet, but it's really good to, to start looking into like, are the apps that you're aiming to speed up, actually affected by a gpu before you yeah. worry too much before about you spend the money on that exactly and yeah. you and you worry too much and then there's also other stuff coming down the pipe through blockchain which uh Atoya is pioneering with um with their render token so the idea that you basically network 
all the GPUs across the world for combined GPU power. So now this sounds like Skynet, you know, taking over the world kind of stuff. But the idea being that you're not going to be limited to what GPU you have in your system, what GPU you have in your uh, desktop, your laptop, external GPU, any of that. It'll come down to your network speed and you'll just connect to the as many GPUs as you need. All right. If we're going to wrap up the GPU section, what's the best way for people to think about like who needs a, a, to upgrade their GPU? Who can stick to something smaller? Like when is it really worth it to spend the extra money? If you're starting to play in 4K land and up, as well as uh, visual effects, then, I mean, only if you're really going into GPU render world. But, I mean, GPUs can get so complex. And I think uh, uh, Linus Tech Tips just did one where they broke down uh, whether a, an NVIDIA GeForce card versus a Quadro, because those are, you know, five to six times the cost and what power you're getting versus not. I mean... 3D is really where it comes down to, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a different kind of, there's two kinds of main GPU calculations. There's constant refreshing, say, for video games, right? Yep. Which need to calculate everything in your field of view at a, you know, super high frame rate so that it's crisp and highly detailed and all this jazz. Well, we can get that there, one out of the way. That's worth upgrade. That's always worth upgrading your GPU. Yeah, and that's typically a lower cost to to upgrade and you'll get a, a high value on your return of investment. But... Then there's the other side of calculations, which is just sheer number crunching, which is Houdini simulations, um, engineering applications, CAD, that kind of stuff. That's a whole nother realm of heavy GPU computations, right? You you get into like double precision floating point, all sorts of, you know, mm-hmm. error correcting. Like it's just a whole nother scope. And typically, I would say anyone listening to uh, this kind of uh, podcast, it's it's not what you're going to be looking at. So you're not going to need multiple GPUs. You don't need the biggest GPU. You're going to need just a good GPU that can run a 4K display or multiple 4K displays and run that footage. I mean, there's a reason RED has its own GPU for optimization. So that's when I would say. But if you're in 1080 land and you're you're working on photos, I don't think you're going to need that because there's not this real-time playback. You just hit that other one of uh, external monitors. That can be another good reason is you can only run so many external monitors with uh, integrated or not just integrated, but um, onboard in in machine uh, GPUs. You're going to need a little Yeah, and sometimes people don't understand what that actually means. It means a whole nother display is running all this information. Mm -hmm. So you need the power. Yeah. And yeah, if you're doing just photography... Also, not such a big deal. I don't think Photoshop leans very heavily on it at all. Neither does Lightroom. I don't think so either. Other than maybe some filters can get a bit heavy at times Mm -hmm. and it might help, but I don't think that's going to be your big bottleneck. All right, then uh, let's move along to other things that might be bottlenecks. Let's talk about RAM for a minute. You said you have done some fresh RAM research. What did you find out? Yeah, I've been uh, watching my RAM a lot more since our since our uh, lost podcast episode and just realizing how little I get to. I have 64 gigs in both machines, and I watch even when I go full tilt in Houdini Sims, you know, it barely gets touched. I usually hit about... 32-ish gigs, maybe a bit more, but very seldom am I peaking to a point that it's just, you know, like, oh, I need more. The only two times that I've needed it are both VFX situations. One's for World Machine, where it builds high-res landscape maps, displacement, topology, that kind of stuff. And it very 
precisely tells you how much RAM you need to generate a certain level of detail. And then, you know, you can see it in the performance. And it's the only time I've realized, oh, I could use 128 gigs of RAM versus 64 and X particles. The other day, it crushed both my CPU and my memory. Both were in the 96% almost consistently and the fans were just going. And it's like, all right, I, I see the bottleneck there. But Beyond that, I've never seen a bottleneck at 64 gigs of RAM. And I think that now that the laptop has 32, I think it's that beautiful sweet spot for, you know, just being able to do enough. If you need to cache, you can still be working on other things. It's not going to just suddenly grind your system to a halt when you uh, when you start playing around in, let's say, After Effects. So this is somewhere that I think a lot of people were... <laughs> I don't know, slightly misguided when they got really offended at the 2016 MacBook Pros not being able to go up to 32 gigs of RAM. They were they were limited to 16 gigabytes. And um, there are definitely people that need it. It happens. Mm-hmm. But I am, like I said, I've been getting by on eight gigabytes on my old uh, laptop. And even on my iMac that does an awesome job, it's 16 gigs. And if I look at what it's doing at any given time, even when I'm using it pretty heavily, it's only ever getting sort of kind of close to 16. I don't know. I just launched it right now. I'm recording a podcast, running Skype, doing a few other little things, and it's uh, hitting eight gigabytes of RAM. So the only times I find that I'm actually getting close to filling it is if I'm doing a lot at once, uh, meaning, which I do. So that is why I got, I got 32 in my new computer is because I will have Photoshop, Lightroom and Safari notes. And then accidentally I'll also be in Final Cut sometimes, you know, I'll have three heavy programs running at once and I don't want that to slow anything down. But the big difference that I've started to realize is why we lean less heavily on it is because of this increase in hard drive spaces. When RAM fills up, it starts uh, dumping its its information back on the hard drive. And that's what virtual memory is, right? So like a hard drive can do the same function as RAM of storing things short term, but it's so much slower typically that once the RAM is offloading some of that info, the access to it slows down. The new SSDs are so fast that it's able to pass that information nearly, I don't know how close, but like competitively with RAM and you stop noticing a full RAM nearly as much. So even if you are maxing out your eight or 16 gigs, it doesn't crush the computer in the way that it used to. That's pretty crazy. It's, It's just become less painful or you notice it less often when you fill up. Yeah, and there's also odd things sometimes when it comes to RAM, and it and I would say that anyone listening, every now and then just open it up and watch what's happening, because in my little bit of research that I've been doing since the last episode, I, I noticed one uh, on my PC at some point, just looking at the RAM, and Google Chrome was holding on to 9.5 gigs of RAM. <laughs> of course it was. And I couldn't fathom why, and then I realized I'd been watching an hour-long vimeo tutorial on flip fluid oh and, and i was like okay on that makes sense and i got to start thinking about all these things that actually take that stuff up and not just think that it needs to be what i see right away that is heavy it, there's a lot of lighter things that happen that are being done so well that you don't quite notice and that can add up quickly like i said what would probably happen if you ha- if you didn't have the ram available if you were on a smaller machine 
is that would probably be one of, I, I hope if Chrome is written correctly, that would be one of the first places that the operating system and the apps, they look at like, okay, we're running out of RAM. What do we want to discard to the hard drive? And what do we want to keep in available memory? Hopefully it would be like, okay, this nine gigs of video is not what is most important. It's all the apps that are actively being accessed. Let's start ditching that previously viewed video. We would think that they're smart enough. So who needs uh, who needs tons of RAM? I would say anyone multitasking. That's mm-hmm. where I think it comes down to, is the person who wants to have the nine applications open at the time that are equally going to take just a little bit of RAM at a time. So, I mean, you've got Photoshop, Lightroom, uh, you're surfing the web, you know, you're checking your email, you're doing all these things, and you don't want to notice the lag between it all. Because, I mean, my laptop is 23. 13 i think and there's definitely times where i can feel the crunch on 16 gigs like i'm pushing it just that little bit too far and uh, because on my desktops i'm just so used to never having to worry about that to just keep working and whatever applications are open are open until i hit you know export or render then i'm really not worried about it yeah and if you're editing a lot of people refer to it as like yeah if you're editing video you need it I think you have to be doing some pretty exceptional things in both Final Cut or Premiere. You need to be doing a lot of effects or layers of LUTs and text and transition. Like You need a lot going on to start pushing the RAM in either of those applications. You can do normal YouTube videos easily with 16 or less. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it would be great to see the RAM to GPU relationship on things like, you know, stacked adjustment layers and LUTs and color correction as you're working on, say, 1080 or 4K video and what that looks like. All right. So RAM is wrapped up. Hard drive speeds is is also on my list. We kind of keep touching it. I don't know if there's a lot to say about it because you should just always like the fastest hard drive speeds are usually not way more expensive. So everybody should just be choosing the fastest hard drive available. If you're buying a Mac, they're already coming with it. Like the new Macs have insanely fast hard drives. Now looking at my old laptop to my new one, I think I'm going to be getting like a four or five times improvement in speed. So copying files is crazy. It what mostly has happened is that suddenly the last two years, hard drive speeds are just not a bottleneck anymore. They've started to just keep up with everything else. So I, Well, it's weird. I feel like they're actually playing catch up because you've had Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt 2, Thunderbolt 3, USB 3, and all these higher speed transfer uh, uh, protocols come out. But the big bottleneck was always the drive. It didn't matter if you had Thunderbolt 3. It's like if you're going to a traditional spinning disk hard drive, it doesn't matter. You can only write so fast anyways. So now that they're all starting to catch up, I know that for me, the biggest bottleneck with hard drive speeds is in between computers and systems. Mm. And now just get into a place where I can transfer as fast as possible. Like right now I have a QNAP server and I'm looking at the Thunderbolt 3 version so that I can have it sit between my Mac and my PC and we can both work off of it. And then that way there's not this, like connecting the two and being able to transfer stuff between them over gigabit ethernet is fine and it works, you know, doesn't take too long, but it's enough to add a step in the process. Whereas if we just had one central location where the files were accessed and written between the two would be beautiful. And that to me is worth its weight in gold. Well, and so that's become the new real limitation is the amount of size that you can get with the speeds that you need. So that's why, again, I mean, I said that with my new computer, I spent 
a lot. Canadian is $1,500 to get two terabytes in there. That is so much money per terabyte. So worth it. You will forget that you spent that money. I'm already wishing I'd spent... The, I think the extra thousand dollars on my iMac for a two terabyte internal. Like, well, and that's why I, I canceled my order. Like my order was a few days into to ship it, like getting ready. And I totally canceled it and was willing to wait extra days because I realized like if I upgrade the, the processor to the max, which, so I didn't, right. I got like second from the top. I'm not going to really remember that in a few years, but if I'm fighting for drive space, I will never forget that. I will yeah. always be thinking about it. Uh, so, and I will always be grateful for the extra space I bought and kind of forget about the money I spent on it. So, um, you know, the four terabytes, you gotta, you gotta have some serious uh, budget to, <laughs> to go that far, but I just, it is worth spending as much as you can afford on internal disk space, like the, on, on the fast storage. Yeah. Because I think that there, you know, Stuff is going to take up space. I think we're getting to a certain point with compression and, you know, what that does. And in the long run, the the time you'll save by having all that stuff just on your computer. Now I'm talking about bringing hard drives, having hard drives, connecting hard drives, transferring stuff, oh, yeah. organizing yourself, waiting in between that versus the the few seconds difference on export or caching or generating previews that the two CPUs the change would be, I think you're way better off having the hard drive. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people can forget about is that, uh, it's, it's not just cause I asked like, okay, everybody vote on what I should buy. I asked that on, on Instagram and in some of the responses I got, a lot of people weren't considering that speed factor. They're like, Oh, you know, you external storage is cheap. You can always buy more external SSDs, but even if they were as fast, which they're not, they disconnect all the time. Like as soon as a cord is more than six months old, especially when you're traveling, like if you're at home and it's yeah. always in the same place, maybe it's going to be fine. But when you're moving around, every single cord starts to auto eject itself by the smallest bump after half a year. It's guaranteed. This always, always happens. It's so, just more stuff to deal with, more yeah, stuff to no. carry, more things to bring, more things to protect or back up or, yeah. you know, yeah, it's just, I think it's an easy decision. Okay, I also have Thunderbolt 3 on my list, which is uh, kind of wrapped into USB-C. I don't know what to say about it. It's 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 a good thing. I miss USB-A. I think it's the wrong decision to have no ports like that available on uh, on the new MacBook Pros. It still bugs me. Yeah, I feel like they could have easily, they could have been a transition model mm-hmm. of the current computer. Like this this computer with just Type-C, I feel like we could have got that next year. And that the one that we've had for the last, you know, what, two or three years? Is it yeah. three years now? 2016 that it came out. Yeah. That should have had more Type-C and a few of the other connectors. Like yeah. Just enough to say, hey, guys, this is where we're going. But we all know Apple just likes to say, you know, screw this. We're going straight there. Like, no, CV- no CD or DVD drives. Done. Blu-ray, whatever. Yeah, well, I was 100% and, on board with USB-C when they first announced it because, you know, if you don't already know what it's doing, it is it is the old USB standard, so it's it'll still run all of your older USB stuff, but it is also Thunderbolt 3, and it can move power across it. So it has massive throughput capabilities. Like, it, it has more potential than anything else has before. And obviously, what Apple was hoping to do is like, look, if we put nothing but that on there, it's going to also force the ecosystem around it to thrive. And all of a sudden we're going to get 
we're going to be moving to USB-C quickly if we make everybody do it, because this is the laptop we sell the most of. For some reason, it hasn't happened. I think they could have been nicer about it, though. They could have they could have not donglified the world and instead said, hey, you know, I mean, that's one thing I miss about the Thunderbolt display was it was the most wonderful hub yeah. because it was one cable into my computer and everything happened. It ran power. It ran, I think it ran power. I am convinced, though, like my defense of, of Apple on this is that they really thought that this them moving to USB-C with such a firm commitment would change everything faster because it has in the past. Like their initial adoption of USB, uh, like USB one on uh, iMacs, mm-hmm. that totally yeah. gave the industry a jump start and and fixed a lot of old dumb I/O mismatch. Yeah. Like there was a hundred I/Os, and then all of a sudden USB takes over all of them. I mean that was great, and they thought they could do it again, and it just hasn't worked out the way that I'm sure they wanted it to. Yeah, and there's another frustrating thing about Type C and Thunderbolt three is that cords are rated for different things and they all look oh the my same God. i hate and that i think that that is the worst worst i part cannot believe like not only do you have two names you have type c and you have thunderbolt 3 right mm-hmm. and it's kind of like when mini display port and thunderbolt and you know it's like which one is which and what does it do and what can it run but now you straight up have up yeah. to four times difference in terms of speed and you're going to grab a cable and go oh i'm going to connect that and boom i'm off to the races and you don't realize that your bottleneck is something invisible that you don't even realize to a mass amount of the population is going to just cripple what you're paying for the most basic differences of what you can accidentally buy is like you these will these will all look like the same cable you can buy one that is just usb3 i bet you can't get a usb2 but maybe you probably could if you spent little enough money so you don't know if you've got USB 2, USB 3, Thunderbolt 2, I bet some are just Thunderbolt 3 and not, or 2 and not 3. Then there's Thunderbolt 3. Then there is whether it can pass power across it or not. And then there's different power ratings because some of them yeah, can't pass enough to charge the whole laptop. So you've got at least five or six different variables that you don't know anything about when you're just holding a cable in your hand. And they all look the same, and there's almost no way for you to just quickly identify, other than running a whole bunch of tests. Uh, yeah, exactly. I don't even know the slow way. Like, it's, yeah, just test every variable and, yeah. like, write oh, down the numbers. didn't run that computer? Runs this computer. Okay, yeah, let me well, put a marker on this or a sticker on that. Oh, it's God. just so dumb. Okay, let's stop talking about it. It's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> my, my last thing here is Windows or Mac. That's a big one. Look, before Windows or Mac, let's talk about why or when to buy a, a laptop or desktop. The most obvious thing is like, hey, if you're moving around a lot, you you already know. Well, you can always be that Starbucks guy with your iMac. <laughs> oh man, that guy's awesome. I haven't met him, but I want yeah. to. He's easy to find. But then, like, what what ends up happening? What are the consequences of you know downgrading to a laptop? Because a laptop cannot be as powerful as a desktop. Big reasons being power supply. Like you, you can't put as much energy into a processor or into RAM, or there's just less electricity available. And it's smaller. Well, I think it's easy to, you're always going to have the, you know, one's portable, one's more powerful. Like that's just a given, right? Because even if laptops got, you know, a hundred times more powerful than they are right now, that means you can fit that much more into an iMac or a desktop to (laughs) make it 200 times more powerful. It's my argument with cameras and people that say that eventually your cell phone will be better than, you know, the biggest Hollywood cameras. It's like, no, because your cell phone's always going to be a certain size. And if you can, you know, have more space, which is what those cameras have, then you're going to be able to do more. So they'll always have that. And to me, 
the thing that's often missed is that I find working on my laptop more intimate, that I can, you know, I feel like when I'm working on my laptop, I'm more focused on this very specific thing. Now, it's not as big a screen or it's not as fast or any of that, but I can go more places, yes, but even at home, you know, I can be a few feet away from my desktop, but where I get to sit with my laptop and where I get to work with it and the stuff that's on there and the stuff that I'll do when I'm working on that, say, writing versus, you know, simulations, it's it's a different experience. And I hadn't used my laptop in probably two and a half months. It'd been sitting in my bag. And last night for the first time, I'm just doing mundane stuff like taxes, but I'm on my laptop in front of the TV, is a movie playing. It's just a different experience. And I think that that gets lost in the fray. It's often the measure of specs and power and all this, but it's what kind of experience do you want with your computer? Do you want to be able to move around your house or sit wherever you want at that time to do whatever it is you want to do? Or do you want to have the one place that you go to get work done? Well, that's the opposite trade-off that I'll talk about a bit is uh, the inability to have that structure of everything is the same way all the time is Mm -hmm. something I often miss working on a laptop a lot. Like, Having a bunch of external drives, like having a QNAP Thunderbolt 3 sitting there that you know you can access anytime you're going to start editing. Because if I know that it'll only be there for half the time I want to edit, because sometimes I'm on the road, I can't store the same kind of things on it, right? Having an audio interface, like right now this is running into a Focusrite Scarlet, which has a bunch of XLR inputs, I can't have a permanent setup like that for my laptop. I need to always be figuring it out. Like after you have USB mics, I have to have a be carrying around a USB interface with me. I um I can't have mm-hmm. anything that is externally powered because then I'm running multiple power cables. So I need everything to be powered over USB or Thunderbolt. Yeah, it's definitely a trade-off. And they're both good points and good arguments. And I'm lucky that I've got both options. So if I want to sit down and do some heavy lifting, I can. If I want to be portable, I can. I know that for me, I'm looking forward to the day that the only computer I need is a laptop. That's that's what I want. Ideally, it would be an iPad that ran Mac OS, but that's not going to happen. I I mean, I'm optimistic that I might have just hit that point that the the new MacBook Pros are fast enough that I'm not I'm not hitting any more bottlenecks, I think. I haven't got to really test it yet. But you know what they say, the fish grows to the size of its bowl, <laughs> right? Don't so remi- Don't remind yeah. me. I thought a, a 3 GPU, uh, 64 gig <laughs> PC was all I would need. And Please, then you realize, nobody nope. quote this episode back to me in five years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even right now, I'm looking at putting four more GPUs in there and water cooling oh the system so that I can optimize it to the best level I can and just have it as my render workhorse. Let's so. get to a bit more of the Windows Mac thing. Um, sure. You know, this could honestly be a whole episode, so we'll try not to make it one. But from an objective, no fanboy perspective, why do you choose Windows? Why do you choose Mac? Who should go which way? I think that if you just boiled it down to if you want to get into computers at more of a computer level and not just using a computer then go PC. If you want to know how it works and get inside and, you know, build your own computer and understand more of it. And regardless of whether there's applications that work on PC or Mac or vice versa, it's, if you have a PC, you need to understand computers, especially once you get into the heavier machine. I'm not talking about your 
your Monday to Friday spreadsheet work. I'm talking about if you're actually trying to create with it, you know, you're editing video, you're editing photos, you're working in 3D, whatever it might be. A PC is going to require just that extra level of knowledge when it comes to computers. Whereas on a Mac, you're almost definitely not going to have to worry to the same degree. Mm -hmm. Now, once you get into applications, they're pretty much the same. Other than what still drives me nuts is using control versus command. I don't understand who who said that that on a Windows, Mm -hmm. you know, why isn't the Windows key that? I know there's ways of remapping it, but then it fucks other shit up and I just don't want to bother with it. But that's always been, I've always just liked where command is. It works well with your thumb. I'm a shortcuts guy. Whereas on a PC, it just feels awkward every time you're trying to use it. So that just is silly. But once you get into the applications, for the most part, they're exactly the same. I feel like Premiere and Adobe stuff works better on a Mac. I enjoy the interface more. You know, the audio is smoother. The playback is a bit smoother. But it's really semantics at that point. And I'm only comparing because I constantly get to compare. You know, once you're in an environment, typically you're probably going to stay in that. You're going to be in PC or you're going to be in a Mac. Not everyone is running both systems all the time, jumping back and forth and, you know, having to deal with, you know, muscle memory of working on a PC versus working on a Mac. So for me, I would choose Mac and I look forward to choosing just Mac at some point because overall, you know, between iMessage, iCloud, the way mail works, I mean, there's just... There's little things on a PC that just bother the hell out of me. So, for example, running applications as administrators, that that's a thing on PC that you have to sometimes do to change things. And But you're the only user on that PC. Why isn't it just automatically always running everything as an administrator? Because that's what happens when you're on a Mac. There is no, you know, right click on something, run as administrator to get access to that little bit more. There is a school that says you shouldn't be using your primary account as an admin on Macs. That's definitely advice that is out there that you should be using a standard account for your typical user and admin stays admin. Um, I don't know how important it really is. I don't do it, but... Yeah, you know, I think that there's certain stuff that might be older schools of thought. I remember when I used to work at the Apple Store and they talked about how having multiple users on your computer was actually a bad thing. Like Mm -hmm. it confused the system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my wife has somehow done stuff to computers at times that I don't understand, like the level to which I had to go to fix it. I didn't know existed. Like, I don't know how that happened. And that's how I found out some of that stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, Mac versus PC, I think anyone who's going to argue one's more powerful, one is better. Neither of them are better. They both shit the bed at times. I've crashed both computers. I've crashed software on both. Like, neither is perfect. But at the end of the day, if I had to just pick one, I enjoy being in a Mac environment versus in a PC because I used this comparison last time is that the Mac feels like everything is where I put it. And the PC feels like I'm in someone else's home and I'm constantly looking for things in shelves and drawers. And it's always one or two extra clicks or drags or folders away than it wouldn't be. But then there's things I love about the PC. I don't understand why in Finder, they haven't adopted this from Explorer, is that in Windows Explorer, if I open up the file save dialog in an application, not only can I edit the folder that I just created, You know, how many times have we accidentally created a folder while you're trying to save something and now you've got a new folder saved somewhere that you have to go back and delete, but I can rename files in that dialog. And that's just such a time saver in terms of cleaning up and keeping organized. So it's little things. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I would basically recommend that if you don't have a specific use of windows like you do, yeah. um, visual effects, or there's a lot of software that runs only on windows. Uh, if you're gaming, obviously you should be choosing windows, but if you aren't doing those or you're very price sensitive, if, you know, if every dollar yep. really needs to go a long way, probably a good idea to choose windows. If you don't fall into any of those categories, then I would recommend a Mac because you will, I believe you will just get more work done in the lifespan of, of doing things. There's also like community aspects to it that because there are so many more other creative producers that are also using Mac, you will be able to integrate with them better. So for example, like a really common example is uh, airdrop like, Oh, beautiful. Yeah. We, you know, my wife and I, all of our stuff, our phones and our laptops, everything is, is Apple and being able to pass stuff back and forth like that is a really big deal. I know it sounds like one feature, but when we don't have it, like sometimes I am using an Android phone. It is a huge pain to like always be uploading to Dropbox, using your internet connection, downloading it or emailing it. And then it's getting compressed. I mean, it uh, there are and there's a lot of other examples that are l- similar to that that if you end up working with other people doing similar stuff to you they're probably on a mac and you will probably save some time by being on one and it's just it's, i prefer <laughs> i mean i think and, it's better and you might think it's better too and at the end of the day the biggest reason especially if there's only one or two programs that are really keeping you on the pc side of things is you can install windows on your mac yeah, yeah good one for free Mm-hmm. It's a fully legit, full version of Windows 10, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And now you have both. So there's really, because I mean, yeah, I just, I don't understand why some people don't realize that, is that you can still run Windows really well on your Mac if you just need to be able to do those odd things. Yeah, just a couple things. And right? well, I, I also want to throw in that if you are, I would recommend that if you're doing fast turnaround edits, um, no matter where you're starting from, you will be able to do faster video edits in Final Cut Pro, no matter what. I don't care if you prefer the Premiere interface more. It is a more efficient interface. And even on top hardware on a PC, typically Final Cut is able to export and do a lot of other things much faster. Like it's weird how much faster it is, especially. I may, I may have to sit down and watch you edit something one day just to, uh, to learn because, uh, yeah, every time I open it up, I just feel like crying. <laughs> well, and the thing is you can't go into the same depth. There, like, the big thing I'm mm-hmm. always missing is there isn't good audio mastering tools. That still like always hurts me. Maybe I just don't know how to do it right. But, uh, you know, the, and then there's uh, not the same kind of integration with After Effects. Um, you know, motion isn't as impressive as, as after effects is there's, there are, there are some trade-offs, but if you're just, do, if you're doing something normal, yeah, I hear you. And then, yeah, finally, I just want to talk about my new computer a little bit. Nice. Uh, Let's talk like, about it. Yeah, an, an update to everybody. So, um, there actually, the YouTube video about the computer will probably be out before this episode, just because of when things are getting recorded and released. So, I'll, I will probably have already talked about a bunch of tests publicly that I haven't done at this time <laughs> of recording. But what I got is a 2.6 gigahertz Intel Core i7. So that is, that's the one just below the i9. So it is upgraded in a few different ways in the processor department. And it is 15 inch, um, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But what I decided to do is I had ordered, like I said, I canceled an order. That was the i9. 
I think it wasn't because of all this throttling stuff. I think that is totally overblown. It makes sense to me that having the th- like one of the thinnest laptops on the market, not being able to fully use the the state of the art processors because it gets a little bit too hot. That's not really weird to me, and it also only happens in certain cases, like Premiere. Um, I don't, I don't think it's really happening in Final Cut. I don't think it's really happening even in you know Lightroom and and uh, Photoshop. Like you are still getting a nice little performance bump if you use the i9. Everything I've seen looks like it. It is a real improvement. But I decided that my budget was just going to be better spent elsewhere. Specifically, adding two terabytes of internal storage. So. It was just a trade-off. Yeah, I had already spent too much money. That's it. Like, I just, I didn't want to keep spending more money on this computer. So I downgraded the processor. I I don't think I'm going to regret that. And it's easy to fall down the rabbit hole of, well, you know, I already got that. What if I get just that little bit and that little bit and then realize. I already did that. You know, I'm already, I already was doing that just to get where I am. Yeah. And so I kept 32 gigs of, of storage, you know, like I said, bit of future proofing and that I know I run multiple apps. Like just, I keep things open. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm honestly using Lightroom, Final Cut and Photoshop at the same time. So, and then it, it also has the upgraded graphics card. So uh, wait, that's not what I thought it was called. Graphics, Intel UHD Graphics 630. That doesn't sound right. No, that doesn't sound right either. Uh, let me see. System report. Uh, there it is. Okay, so there. that's interesting. So that's what I get when I just like look at the Git info system information. Yeah? Yeah, that's, that's it still says that. Intel UHD Graphics 630, and that is the internal built-in graphics card. And then yeah. if I go into the more detailed information the Radeon Pro 560X. But that's interesting that they're both active. Like, I didn't think the internal... No, no, no. I think it, 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 it dynamically is... passes it, doesn't totally, it? Totally, yes. That's what happens. So uh, Mark Orman's talked about this a bit where he's like monitoring when which one is going on. And so that's even a way to save on on battery is by if you kind of like hack your, your Mac and, and force it to do certain things. Like you, if you force the GPU to stay off the, the dedicated GPU, it also reduces the power draw. So yeah, I think it, that you're right. It switches over when it needs to. I think it's going to be a solid system, especially going from your 13 inch um, oh, yeah. MacBook Pro. <laughs> I think it's going to be a world of difference. Yeah. Well, and so update uh, on what's happened with that the last 24 hours I went to, I wanted to use Migration Assistant. You know, I mean, people have different opinions about it. I've heard plenty of good things about Migration Assistant lately that it just is working very well and it's a, it, it safely will move an old computer to a new one, copying just the right things that you want without many negative effects, if any. I launched it and it started making my older computer a little bit unstable. My 13-inch uh, crashed once. I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. I kind of like cleaned things up, kept getting ready, launched it again, and it fully crashed, and I cannot turn my 13-inch back on. I mean, I'm, I'm stuck in a boot cycle, spent time with Apple support. I have not been able to fix it yet. So it... Uh, Didn't it, you go to the Apple store? Yeah, so just the, the, for boring reasons, I wasn't <laughs> able to get any information out of it yet. It They did run just hardware tests, and it passed them all. So... Okay. That didn't help. Uh, I can launch it in target disk mode, so I will be able to pull my files off, so I'm not going to lose anything. But just, I mean, anecdotal warning for anybody. Um, 
but apparently migration assistant can kill your system. This is the first problem I've had with this computer. <laughs> it it had no issues before this. It was totally fine. It just knows it's over. So oh it's God. just it's a it's a mission impossible self destruct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh it, that was so I don't know. That's what I'm living with today. Today I'm also gonna be making that YouTube video that maybe is uh you should be able to already watch it by now. Ooh. So, I don't know, anything else you want to touch on? Like, there, I mean, there is so much more to talk about in, in the future. I'd love to do like a whole premiere Final Cut episode someday where we really kind of break it down. Yeah, that'd be cool. I know that I'm hoping to, now that I've got both a Mac and a PC that are almost very equivalent spec-wise, that, you know, it's 64 and 64, 10 core and 10 core, 3 gigs and 3 gigs. So <laughs> I feel like there's a bunch of tests I would like to do to just really cut through the which is better, which is faster, all that stuff, so that I can not only know which system is better to do certain things on, but to also just objectively say, hey, this exact same process file hard drive everything took this long to do on this computer and this long on that one and then suddenly you can get a real objective view as to how they compare that would be that'd be really helpful i'd love to see that and my tests i want to do are figuring out some of these lightroom bottlenecks i i know that there are more things that i that i don't see other people testing very well like i just am not finding articles of like how much does the gpu effect render times versus the processor speed versus like i don't see people doing in-depth testing about this stuff so i want to figure it out so that i can make that as fast as possible and i need to figure out a better backup solution that doesn't lead me to the hdd bottleneck yeah yeah lots lots more to learn olaf thank you so much for helping me learn about it well tyler thanks for uh, having me on to chat about it and uh where can people find you on the internet uh, best place is Twitter at Olaf Blomeris. Uh, and then from there, you'll probably find all the other random places, new site at some point. So don't even bother going there. And a little message to anybody listening. If you found this helpful at all, it would be incredibly helpful to me if you would spread the word. People only find podcasts when they're recommended to them. There is, there's no SEO magic. There is no secret way to get the word out there about podcasts except for word of mouth so if you know somebody looking to buy a new computer or that is struggling with the computer they have now send them this episode uh show them how to subscribe to a podcast because you know they probably don't know and uh that would be insanely helpful if you heard something that uh, you know a bit more about or you want to teach us or you have questions hit us up 